strategy, design, marketing, UX, digital, development. This is Agencies That Build, the show dedicated to leaders and teams that design and deploy in the digital world. My name is Casey. I'm a former coder and agency owner. And I'm Maroon, a better coder and an agency partner. Better? <laughs> Probably true. This show is sponsored by Galaxy. On a mission to help agencies grow. Varun, are you ready to rock this thing? Ready to roll. Ready to roll, man. Well, hey, our guest today, I'm stoked. Um, we've talked to him before. Um, not on the show, though. And so I'm excited to introduce you all to him. Who is he? What does he do? Tech and design leader, entrepreneur, leading authority in interactive tech, which we'll talk about with his agency and his team. Uh, fellow rock climber, which we will for sure get into. Founder and CEO for of sure. Potion. For sure. Founding partner at Poplet, Philip Tiongson. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is super exciting. Yeah, we're, we're glad to have you here, man. I mean, the, the idea of interactive and the experiential side of creation and, and, and agencies to build. <laughs> we're excited to have you. So yeah, less me talking, more of me passing right. this thing. So, right. I think, uh, yeah, 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 I'm ready. Here it is. All right. Ugh. Okay. Nice. You got it? Okay. You got to grab that. You take a drink. Okay, I'm taking that. This is my. Um, I got go. the got hammer. I've got um, Thor's know, hammer. Simple. Yeah, keep, keep it simple. simple. I love that. Um, okay, simple. take Thor's hammer. Smash some kind of myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight once and for all. Well, right now, something that has really, really been obvious to me is that there's this myth that you can only charge for certain things if you're on site, right? Mm -hmm. That there's only value in a physical place. And it comes from this ancient thing, right? Like, so you have, if you think about, okay, we have to protect knowledge and we have to share it. You know, we've got to collect all of these precious objects and put them in a museum behind a moat. We've got to have a mm -hmm. university where you have, you know, all the smart people with all the stuff they need, you know, protected from the hordes that might come and screw it all up, right? right? And, you know, that's like, but to have real value, you have to be here, man. You have to do it, right? And you have to see it in person. Like, and that is true to an extent, but has been so fetishized. It's so overly true that museums have now made themselves and universities more about the place than what they were built to do, than the mission. You know, their, their method has overcome their mission, right? And I think that that is sad, you know, because what we really need now is to take those things, the mission of sharing knowledge, the, the mission of education and get that value out there, right? Gotcha. And so technology um, has, is showing us, you know, it's not perfect. It's not meant to replace physical, you know, in-person interaction. Like, I don't want that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Like, I don't want the, the computers that are gonna make me feel things. That's, <laughs> I, I, I see people in person for that. Right. But there is a kind of intimacy that we can have in this podcast. Um, even though I am hundreds of miles away from you, uh, we can be as real and authentic and surprising um, as if we were in person, maybe even more so. Yeah. Um, 
And that has nothing to do with the fact that it's, it's technology-based and that it's, in fact, we are in person, just a different kind of in-person. That's a good metaphor, right? We're, we, could, we can get just as much value. I think that people see that too. Let's fly here and have a meeting. Now, ideally, partying afterward, maybe going rock climbing and partying afterward has that next sure. threshold. So there's something yes. to that, to your point. You're not knocking no. that, but you're saying, right. but there is, there's nothing wrong with, let's say, this, this phone call with the three of us, we're going to be BFFs by the end of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that it's really like the, there's a fear that has been sort of enculturated into these places. Like, oh, if we give away our stuff, you know, if it's free or if someone can download it, they won't come, right? They, we won't be valuable anymore, right? Gotcha. And that's the bullshit part because like, I know that there are people who will never be able to go places, right? So, and that sounds so like vague. So let me, now I am not worried about places that have amazing brands. The Met, they could close for five years, you know, to outside visitors and the day they open, they'll be completely flooded. Yeah. Any, any place that you've heard of, fine, right? <laughs> but what about, the Brooklyn Historical Society. You know, what about the um, Lower Side Tenement Museum, right? These places right now are rooted in gate. They need people to be coming through. Yeah. And they feel like that is the, that is the way they can be most relevant to their local audience, which is true. It is, there's a real relevancy. There's a real value to the fact that, you know, New York City school kids from any borough can come to the Lower East Side Tenement Museum and like see what it was like when 16 people lived on a single floor, like on a single room, right? There's a visceralness to being in that room. But, you know, the kids in Germany whose grandparents were in that room, they'll never, I mean, maybe they'll visit New York, but they'll never have gotten there, you know? Or what about the kid in South America who, who will never get to New York, but like the condition, like this is, they live, they have tenement conditions right now, right? Right. And they can see, oh, but this is the future. That was the past. Like we can see these connections and there's real value in the stories and in how tenement frames what they do, right? And that value is totally transferable right? It is not locked in the place, but it requires a whole new mindset for how, um, how do we communicate our unique value in a way that scales, right? It, you know, first is scales, is surprising. Number two, you know, number three is reciprocal. I think this idea that like, it can actually be two way in a way that like, yeah. you can't necessarily be when you are in person for is truly accessible right and when i say accessible i mean both to um my great aunt in um you know in a nursing home in oklahoma and to you know again someone who doesn't even speak english mm -hmm. in another country who is connected to that place for a reason and wants to know, right? right? That's accessibility. It doesn't matter. It's not about, you know, it's about being able to be available to whether I am, I have, um, you know, autism and I need a, to see things a certain way because 
that's how my brain works all the way to like, I'm physically can't go up those steps. Right. And that's something that when you think about the billions of people that are connected, like there is value can, you can deliver to them. And that brings me to that, that, that last piece, which is what is truly essential mm. about the message that they're, they're providing about the, the, the things that they're saying about what they're giving. Right. Because at this moment, you know, I've had an agency for um, 15 years and this is, this moment has really sh shaken me because it's made me ask, um, what is it that we do that's essential, right? Right. What is it we do that, that like, that, you know, isn't one of those nice to haves, you know, the, oh, it'd be great if we had some beautiful interactive thing, but actually what we need are circles on the floor to keep people six feet apart. So we'll, we'll do that first, right? Yeah. There's a difference I, I to, in, in understanding of like what that is. So, yeah. I, I want to ask like, so um, is this because of the COVID situation? Because the examples that you mentioned about education, museums, they, uh, they have started doing it more online and remote because they have been forced to do that. Right. They'd never realized the value of, and so we, we, as you, like we are also are in technology mm -hmm. and we have been remote. Yeah you know, for 20 years. So I totally yeah. get that, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. The people who have never done that in the past, now they are seeing it and they are observing it and now they get it. It's not that. Well, it's worse than that. It's they've been actively fighting it. The culture is that if we, like I said, if we give it away for free, if there is some way we make this accessible, what we're going to do is we're going to make it accessible in a marketing way that's free. Right, we're gonna make it accessible in a way that like promotes our brand. So we will still get butts in seats here. But people are still gonna to go to Harvard, right? Well, they got one you know, foot, on the, they, they haven't left. They still have one foot on the old platform. Right. Yeah. And so even though there is a, an experimentation with it, like the belief that it is fundamentally the right way to do things is is not is still there is still tremendous foot dragging going on right now right they are being forced to do it because they have to but no one has fundamentally reconsidered i mean imagine this like imagine we all federal funding for schools went away and instead built a super online school and paid for internet for whoever wanted to whoever needed it and would send them you know, a computer, how much would that cost compared to all of the federal funding for all colleges, right? And what if then you also incentivize all the, the professors? So the professors from each college, if they were the best, right, their classes would go online and that person's curriculum would become the national curriculum, right? What if that happened, right? Like, and so it was really about like, you know, it's not about the state school, you know, it's not about, you know, NYU, uh, not NYU, um, SUNY purchase. It's not about, right. um, you know, uh, University of Tennessee, where I grew up down there, go Vols, you know? <laughs> uh, right. Like, there was suddenly like, okay, no, distributed education, like at scale is the goal. Right, so it's not just a, um, we're not just gonna leave it to, um, uh, you know, 
a, a smart website or prior, you know, we're, but we're going to actually shift fundamentally to thinking like that's, that's how we deliver value. Like that's the kind of thinking that I think people are very afraid of. And in the agency's world, so you have, you, you are running an agency, you have been running it for some time. Yeah. Have you always been remote, in person, mix of both? And how does, how does, how has it worked for you? Oh, I mean, the opposite. I mean, I, I was one of those defenders of the physical place. I mean, and I still am. Like, like Potion is a weird agency because mm. I came out of a technology background, um, but I love design and I couldn't find a place that appreciated those two things together at that time. You might think that that's crazy now, but, but you know, when I started my agency, literally no one knew where to put me. Like they, you, you were either in, uh, interviewing for an engineer or designer. I had neither, like I was not interested in any of those job descriptions. And so Potion was already like in this hybrid space of like, you know, we, I'm looking at how these things connect in a different way. Plus I came out of the, the media lab at MIT where we were already mixing shit up all over the place. Like it was like physical computing, um, uh, narrative, art, music, yeah. uh, computer science, um, computational uh, analysis, you know, like all of that stuff was there. And I saw, like, I was super excited where the physical world like crossed over with the digital one, right? Literally. So we had, you know, that's where I saw the first interactive tables and walls and like, you know, things like physical things that you would pick up and interact with the, uh, with the physical world. I'm like, that's what I want to do. And so that's what Potion was built to make. And that's why most of Potion's um, um, work or really all of Potion's work was rooted in that experiential digital physical place, which meant a physical place, which meant we were the worst software company in the world because we would build one piece of software for one location forever. <laughs> you know, like, and every new piece of software we would write was built specifically for that place, yeah. which is like the opposite of what a software company is meant to do, right? But for me, it was about creating these unique places, these unique experiences and that drove you to a place that that would express a place in interaction in a way that that it, they couldn't do on their own or like it wasn't the spaces they had had to like almost transform because like it needed to do more than their 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 space could could do on it by itself hmm. so i was all rooted so my agency was all about like driving to physical place and although we had done a lot of digital things um, that's always where my heart has been. And so this moment, you know, and so we were on site, we brought everyone to New York. We, you know, we're, you know, I had an office. In fact, my, my partner was worried that I wasn't committed enough when we founded the company. He's like, we have to share an office together, man. Like, you know, and I was like, you want to pay for an office? I was like, I can work at home. And I was like, I've got, he's like, no, it won't, it won't happen unless we have an office. And so, and it, I think he was right. Mm. Like it required the focus. It required the attention of two people like with their, literally your minds are melding trying to make that happen to make any, any um, entrepreneurship, any, 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 anything like that work. 
um, you have to have that like super tightness. Now, could we have done it online? Yeah, I don't know. But like at, at that time, I don't think I could have done it without that. So then now, you know, March, we were like, oh, you know, maybe we should test having everyone work remotely. So, um, you know, March 14th uh, or March 13th, I'm on a train from DC. I just done a big shoot at Smithsonian. Uh, and I was on my, the phone with my, my leadership team and they were like, hey, uh, we're, we, you know, things are looking bad in New York. I think we should, you know, go remote next week on Monday. It was Wednesday. And um, I was like, really? You know, I, I know we were talking about it. He's like, yeah, there are rumors that it's all going to shut down. So we should probably plan on that. And I was like, okay, let's do that. So I said, we should probably tell people tomorrow, don't you think? And they're like, oh yeah, we should tell people tomorrow. So we, of the Thursday, we told people, um, a bunch of people's like, we can actually work remote tonight. Can we just take our stuff home? And they're like, sure, you know, you know, come in Friday if you want to. We're, we're, it's just going to be a test. You know, Monday we'll close the office, see how things go, make sure our systems are working. Friday, about half the people came in, um, including me, and I grabbed my laptop. Monday, five of the eight people who came in on Friday had COVID. Jeez. Um, so I, you know, I washed my hands of it literally uh, by accident. Um, and we have not returned to the office since that day. And so we've, we're, we've had to discover what remote culture, we are, we are inventing our version of our remote culture right now, which in a studio and creative setting is, is really hard. But fortunately we've all, except for one person, one person that, that Friday was her first day at the studio. Wow. <laughs> Jeez. And so, you know, that's been, it's been, a really, really interesting for me to have to live this idea that, oh, our value is not in our studio. It's not in our place. It's, uh, it's in what we do. So I, does that answer your question? Yeah, no, but like what, what a, what a change, you know, what a yeah. difference to go through. It's like a progression. Yeah. It's like, it's no, like no, you matured as an agency, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And in, in many ways it's, it's made me rethink a lot of the assumptions of both, you know, what we were built on um, and what the value, what, what we help identify, like what are those things that like, that I've always thought about, it's not about fingers on screens, right? That's mm -hmm. not the kind of, inter that's not interactivity to me, right? Like, and if anyone has figured that out, it's Apple. Like they, the fingers on glass thing, like they, they got on that quick. And so one of the things that I've always said is like, it's not, it's, it's pretty clear that, you know, if you look at Apple and Android and, you know, Roku and there, if you look at this, the basic things, touch, drag, swipe, pinch. Oh, pinch was like the big one, right? Pinch when print, yeah, pinch to zoom, yeah, right? Like those interactions, like they've converged pretty quickly. Like, you know, like sure, like maybe there's an edge swipe or maybe there's a bottom swipe. And, you know, like there's a couple things that are, you know, like variations on things, but it's a thing in your hand and you have a finger. I mean, there's not much more you can do with it. Mm -hmm. And so, and all the shapes have all basically become that flat pieces of glass, right? But if you look at um, chairs, <laughs> seats, mm. 
why have seats not converged to the I seat where that everyone sits in exactly the same way? It will never happen because why? the variation of the people and people's butts and what True. they like and their their and and what they need them for, right? And what you're sitting down to do, and whether it's a task or whether it's dinner or whether it's to show off, you know, your apartment or like like the interface between your butt and that seat <laughs> is infinitely variable. And that's why there's an infinite number of chairs that are out there. And we'll, those will never converge because that the need is totally different. But this has converged because the way we interact with it is all the same, right? Yeah. So that to me is like, like, that's why the physical world is so rich. And that's why we want it. We want that richness, right? Yeah. Um, but, like I said, I don't think that it's the only, like, and this is where I'm conflicted. I'm really conflicted because that, that physical richness is something we all love. I was just speaking with an opera singer this morning and she's like, you know, everything that we do, the resonance of the, the theater that we're in, the, the overtones we make with our, with our voices, these are the things that, that are the magic of opera, right? And really can, can never be like, transmitted through this kind of thing but then in the next voice in the next breath she said but then you know we you know i've seen someone sing to someone through zoom and it made me cry yeah yeah and i said there's magic to that too right and you're so an artist yeah well i don't know but that, i what i'm interested in is like how do we share that Right. How do we, how do we make that reciprocal? And I think that that's that, that the one wayness is the difference between watching the Oscars, which is super beautiful, but like I have zero connection wah, wah. to that. Yeah. Right. I watched the movie. <laughs> right. Recorded webinar. Of yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Versus, you know, you know, you have a, a moment where you're live with, you know, say someone um, from, um, uh, an actor or an actress that is reading a play. You know, I, I saw this thing called Theater of War. I don't know if anyone has, you've, you've seen those. Free, amazing. What's it called? Um, Theater of War. Jeez. Yeah, search for this. It's um, it, it's it's in the UK. It, they, they have a bunch of, there's a bunch of different places, but it's all under that moniker. And they have these amazing actors. I mean, like people you've seen on Broadway, people you've seen in the movies, and they're just sitting at their tables talking, right? Reading the plays. I mean, they have the plays open, right? But they are acting the shit out of them. Oh, yeah. They are not in costume. Like, they, they look like us. They, but you hear the voice. You close your eyes and you see the movie, right? And it was phenomenal, right? And sure, there's no production value. You don't see the stage, you know, totally different, but it gets to, there's still a, there's still something valuable there. And that's what I'm really trying to unlock, trying to figure out, I'm trying to figure out like what, what makes that valuable versus like, you know, watching the recording of that later. Yawn. <laughs> it's totally true. Nobody, man. nobody totally cares. True. Nobody cares. Does that make, uh, yeah, does that make sense? I mean, that's, yeah. I think that's what makes podcasts super interesting because you have that feeling of liveness too. You have that feeling of being there. Yeah, we mess um, up, 
keep it real. Like we don't edit anything. Yeah. Chop out. <laughs> you think something idiotic. Just leave it in. Just you ask lie. the You tell the truth. Let's, Nobody let's knows. Come, let's come back to the to the track. <laughs> so I, I, I do want yeah, to back follow track. up. I want to follow up on um, how COVID has changed your settings. Like you said, you know, yeah. you have to decide, like, let's just change all remote, right? And you have yeah. never gone back. And many of those, many of us, like other agencies, have done that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. How has that impacted or changed your business process-wise, oh, right? So, yeah. of course, the way you have um, built stuff is one way, like you are all working together, you are, you know, collaborating and all, but going, so that has changed uh, and there is like, sure, there, there would have been a shift in how you deliver stuff, but your clients, the way you have gone after, you know, acquiring new businesses Right. Or even looking for new industry or new type of clients. I mean, has that changed at all? Or you are still doing the same thing that you were doing earlier, same client, same industry? And, you know, how, what has changed? Um, well, just to give a little context around Potion's business, I mean, we, because of the way that we, um, we build projects, you know, um, we've had a few sort of like more ongoing relationships, you know, like a typical agency of record kind of thing um, where we're building a digital product for a, a brand like Smithsonian Channel, like we built that, that product for them. Um, and so that's been a sort of, a, you know, an anchor tenant for us. Um, but the vast majority of our work are, like I said, these physical on-site projects. So like once we've launched the Nike, not Nike store, <laughs> the, uh, you know, the whatever museum, um, they don't need us for another five, 10 years, you know, it's, so, so that, so we've always had to, in terms of new business, like constantly sort of on the hamster wheel in a way that, you know, not, I mean, I, I think every agency experiences some of that, right? But I think, especially when I was younger, and because Potion's offering, experiential offering was relatively new, like I had the, uh, the naivete to believe that like, oh, if I just work hard and, you know, present, you know, our amazing virtuoso work, we're going to get jobs. <laughs> and that's what everybody believes. I mean, everybody believes that. Everyone has the magical thinking. It's just what, I just have to make one more phone call. I just need to do, I just need to make my deck a little better. Like how many hours have you spent trying to refine your, your pitch deck? You know, it's like half of the stuff that, that we say is the same thing that other agencies say because we are service agencies. We are there right. to work with you, right? Yep. Um, what I have really, what the pandemic and coming back to the question, this, this is really an answer to your question, I promise, um, has made me realize is as much as the work has been, you know, I believe unique, you know, valuable, you know, great. Um, what has been more important have been the relationships that I've built. 
and the relationships with the best partners, whether they're collaborators, whether they're even competitors, whether they're um, clients, um, those relationships are actually where new business comes from. Mm -hmm. And there are ways that you can invest in those relationships and in those yeah. and how you how you um, both deliver, whether it's paid or unpaid, whether the, where there's value, whether it's monetary or not, that are way more important than responding to another RFP or like, and again, getting up, uh, you know, adding another case study to your deck. Right. right? It's a priorities, right? I mean, you it's priorities. Got to get them figured out. Yeah, and that to me has been a fundamental thing that I've realized when I realized the the pipeline has dried up because, you know, again, in phys the physical world, most of our experiential stuff is going into a place, but now it's you know they're closed. We're not essential, you know, and the people who have come back to me are people who are like, yeah, our museum's closed, but we still want to do this. You know, we still want to work on that. You know, we, we, you know, there's the clients that are like, you know, our business is doing great. And now we can do this now too, right? Or, you know, we, you know, we're not going to be able to do that one project, but you, we were so excited. We found this other thing for you to do instead. Like, those are the kinds of, like, so it's different in that. I'm not, I, I'm still responding to the RFPs. We're still, you know, still putting ourselves out there, but I'm recognizing that, especially in a time like this, you know, the people you trust are the people you turn to and whether they're the perfect fit or not. And very few people like to risk um, something new, doing something new in a time like this with something they've never, with someone they've never done anything with. Yeah, right. So that's, that's the pivot that, that I've tried to make. Man. Well, where, where do you, where do you see this going in the future? Where, where does this, I mean, it's like, it's already changed so much. Do you, is it, do we all just like say, hold the horses, we've had enough with COVID or does this keep going? And then it almost flips in the other direction. Yeah. I mean, that's the other, the question that I feel like is also like, I can't, I can't. No, I demand oh, you answer. You're on a huh? Podcast. Yeah, I said you have to answer this. Turn a podcast. Oh, yeah. You gotta tell us the future. We know you okay. know the future. I know you no, talk to I, your future self. What I was gonna say is the the future <laughs> is like way. Um, sure, we can prog prognosticate. I mean, I and but there's a well. I'm gonna answer this in a couple different ways. One is that for sure, right? How we relate to each other in in this remote space is going to evolve super quickly. Right. Yeah. Um, I look at Zoom now as like iPhone one or as like the, or, or the camera phone, right? It's like the most neutral version of itself, right? It's generic, everyone can use it, but it's shown utility in a way that people didn't really recognize before. Like, sure, we had cell phones, sure we had, you know, like, but like, oh, the iPhone, very useful, right? Zoom, oh, you know, now I can meet with anyone all the time. You know, I, we don't have to fly, you know, all this. But what's going to happen is now musicians need a low latency Zoom. Um, 
you know, performers need a different kind of Zoom. Um, uh, you know, there's going to be the Instagram of Zoom and the, the, the Snapchat of Zoom. And like, you know, essentially this is going to explode into many different special use cases. You know, agencies will have their own version of Zoom because they can't have the regular version of Zoom because right, everyone has that. Own. You know, like, yeah. you know, I, there's going to be all of this um, individualization um, and expression, I think, which is interesting. And so that's going to drive a lot of new exploration and how do we communicate how do we telepresence how do we send ourselves and and what's the important part is it the voice is it the video is it something else is it vr you know all of those things are going to be basically there's there everyone's pouring money into that because mm -hmm. it's pretty obvious now it's going to be used right but i think the real change is you know and you know uh, i think that the if we look at, you know, 9-11 and the, the prognostication around 9-11 um, in terms of everyone's behavior, right? Especially in urban cities in New York and, and like, oh, this is gonna change cities forever. You know, no one will wanna build a tall building anymore. Um, uh, you know, that you had a lot of like, well, New York City downtown recover, will never be the same. Um, and the thing that people did not expect was that probably the biggest global day-to-day -day change, again, there are many, many changes that came out of 9-11, but the one that impacted almost every, impacted, impacts almost everyone is that you have to take your shoes off at the airport, right? Like, and yes, that's connected to security, that's it's connected true. to Homeland Security, that's connected change. to all of this, this thing, but the daily behavioral change that came out of 9-11 no one was predicting that, right? Yeah. You know, like that was that was not the thing that everyone thought. And I, I think that what's going to happen with COVID will also be equally unexpected. What mm. happens when the virus is released? Like when, when I mean released, I mean when we're released from its from the constraints it puts on us, right? Like you know, will masks still be a thing or not a thing? Like you know, it's interesting. Another friend of mine told me that you know we like even in February, you would see videos of Asia where people were wearing masks and you're like, oh, it's so weird. You know, it's, you know, that'll, that would never happen here. Right. You know, people, they were using QR codes there. Right. And, yeah. um, you know, everyone's like, why is the adoption of QR codes in Asia so huge? You know, I don't, don't understand it. It's because of stars. It's because they were in the future already. We were the mm -hmm. ones that caught up to them, there. right? And so now all of the touchless yeah. stuff, all the contactless stuff that was was in play there, the masks, like all of that stuff came out of that, right? Real fear, but culturally we were not, we could not even appreciate that, right? And so that's where I'm very um, hesitant to try to really predict the future future of like how it will change day to day because I think we have a, there's, there's so many little subtle things that we're still trying to figure out. Um, and I don't know where that goes, but I do know that in terms of the tool set, that is like, there's going to be rapid evolution there. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, the, the, pay, the it's like, we don't know the outcome, the, the shoes for instance, but we do know the pace will be faster. Yes. Whatever yes. it is, whatever. It yes. Is. Yes. And that, you know, now that people have, 
uncorked, you know, everyone's talked about like, is this has sped up the, the rate of adoption of things that were happening already? Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, but I don't know that that's a huge insight now. I think it's really about like, you know, when we release the pressure, um, what will we, what will we flock to and what will we not return to? You know, I think that that's going to be very surprising. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Change is, is the, is the constant and surprise is usually the constant for sure. You know, <laughs> I, you know, you're, you're intense. Like <laughs> you, you believe, you believe what you're saying. You, you have a passion for it clearly that, you know, we talk about like artists, like you, you're in it and it's not, it's real for you. You know, you know, like a yeah. lot of people, they just do it. It's like they're clocking in, you know, a lot of folks who are running an agency, they're clocking in. This is a passion for you. I, it's got to feel like you're playing all day. So here's my question to you. Let's yeah. get into this. Who sure. are you? Right. <laughs> Who are you? you? Take me back in time, like little Philip days. Where'd you grow yeah. up? You always know you're going to be doing this. What'd you want to be? You know, what was it like? Uh, yeah. Um, it's a, it's, it's a good story. Um, I, I grew up in Tennessee. I was born and raised in Salina, Yeehaw, Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah. Um, my parents were the doctors, the only doctors that would go to this small town and take care of them. Um, literally the last like white doctor was, you know, retiring and, and there was, they could only turn to, a, you know, a Filipino couple you know, trained in the U.S. to come and take care of this town, right? Yeah, wow. And like, so, like run a little medical center or just like a little doctor's yeah, office? No, no, yeah, but the, you know, they, at some point, you know, they, they were the doctors of the hospital, you know, yeah. they were, they had their, wow. I mean, they were the only doctors in the town Man. for a few years. And then they recruited others and, and, um, um, and it's a town of about 3,000 people. So super rural, very segregated. And I probably had never, I, I don't remember seeing another Asian person, you know, that hadn't been brought in by my parents, you know, ever in that town. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it's like, this was not a, like, this was near nothing. Right. Yeah. Um, so I had a really weird, you know, uh, you know, childhood in that I grew up basically as a, you know, white Southern guy <laughs> in a Filipino boy's body. Um, <laughs> I, and I, I don't get the, not, I don't get the accent though. Yeah, oh, well we can get there if you want. Yeah. Um, okay. A couple beers. Sometimes it takes a little, yeah, a little bourbon, you know, a little Jack Daniels will get you there, but um, um, maybe when we talk about climbing, I'll go there, but sounds good. The, um, the, the funny thing is just that, you know, I, I, you know, I was a smart kid and there weren't a lot of smart kids in that county. Um, sure. I mean, there, there's some, I didn't have a lot of friends, uh, but that was not, I didn't know I didn't either. <laughs> it was, right. You know, it was just, you know, this is just the way you lived. And my sisters are both about 10 years older than me and they went off to college and they said, you know, the school system of Salina is, is not great. And so you need to, you know, Philip has a lot of potential, like let's, let's, you know, you should really think about 
going somewhere else or doing something else. And, and um, you know, growing up in the South, like, again, I, I you know, people might have said things to me. Well, I know that they said racist things to me, mm. but calling me Japanese or Chinese was like calling me Martian because I've never right. met a Japanese or Chinese person. Like, right. and, and, and not that that I should be like, you know, that that's okay. <laughs> right. I, I recognize that that's, that's not okay either. The fact that I didn't know anything about any cultures, but um, it sort of just slid off my back because I didn't really have an identity, right? Sure. Um, except this, this proudness of being Filipino because my parents loved that, but did not ever want us to go there or, 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 learn the language <laughs> right just, so, it was just like so you never like it's not like they i've, I've actually know never been is it, is it filipino is that the language uh tagalog is the oh, language oh, tagalog. Yeah. okay yeah I and, but this this sort of funny my, my parents had this funny like dual like you know um feeling relationship with with their home country and yeah. you know we were americans like you know for sure right so anyway, I go to, you know, go to high school in a slightly bigger town, moved to Chattanooga, um, where, you know, still, um, you know, a little bit more diverse, but not that much. Um, and, you know, I can't wait to get out of the South. And um, I get into MIT. Um, Just a little, little place. <laughs> in, uh, Massachusetts called MIT called MIT only the, um, probably arguably one of the best schools in the world how did maybe. how did that even happen and what why did you pick that did you just throw a dart oh god um, I sort of I mean yeah. like um when I was in in high school it was just one of those things where I didn't really know what I wanted to be um and like I said when I was really little I think I wanted to be a fire engine because you know they made a lot of noise and you know I thought they were red and cool but you know my parents were doctors so I thought probably would be one of those but my sisters because they were 10 years older they're like you don't want to do that <laughs> and because they they sort of went down that road my oldest sister rebelled against it my my middle the middle sister became a doctor okay. um, and they were like being 10 years older they were fully practicing when I before, while I was still in high school so they were able to describe a world of medicine that was very different from my parents. Gotcha. And so they were able to leave a door open for me to try something else, which I thought was, which again, I didn't necessarily appreciate at the time, but like, I didn't have the same kind of pressure that they did. Sure. And so you could, you could have been miserable doing the wrong thing, you know? Yeah, no, no, totally. And so at, at this, you know, at Baylor High School in Chattanooga, Tennessee, um, I, you know, I did well, good student, you know, and, um, but my dad loved movies um, and I loved, um, you know, you know, I loved stories and, and I loved playing with computers. I was always a gadget guy. I, I broke everything in our house. Like I, you know, there's a time when my dad got a VCR, like the very first VCR you push down. Yeah, and I was so was. excited. I was like, do not touch this. <laughs> and, um, you know, the first thing I did was I was like, I know exactly how this works. And I, and I put the cartridge in 
and I push it down, it won't go down. And I realize I put it in upside down. It's now stuck in there. It won't come out. You know, this is the brand new machine. We had it like oh, one geez. week. And so my dad, I, now that I see the clock, the, the, you know, from my, my dad's coming home from work. My sisters are also trying to help me, you know, take it apart. I mean, like oh, no. I'm sweating bullets because, you know, I know exactly how this is all going to work. This is so you know, similar. You remind me of a similar incident I did. I pushed, <laughs> you know, this, the, the, the cassette like into the VCR yes. when there was already in there something. So it's just like, <laughs> yeah. one. And, and it is like, and that was not an inexpensive machine, right? And the, the, um, just the, 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 you know, the, the look on my dad's face when he came in and he was like, it, everyone's standing around it. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, you know, like, um, but I was always doing that stuff. So I was always pulling stuff apart. I was always breaking stuff. And that like, so when I was at, in high school, like I, I, I didn't know whether I was gonna be like this liberal arts guy, like, am I gonna go into um, Swarthmore or, you know, go to some, some some like small liberal arts college yeah or am i gonna like go do some like science you know caltech mit kind of stuff right and so i i was I, it was very hard for me to make decisions back then so i just sort of had to apply everywhere and go everywhere and i got in a bunch of places but the, the i when i went and visited them i found myself always hanging out with the nerds and the the geeks, the the kids who were interested in this this stuff and looking at stuff, and I, I could walk around and see like, oh yeah, this place is really interesting. But like, you know, I, the people that I'm actually comfortable with, mm -hmm. the people that I like talking to, are all interested in this stuff. And when I went to MIT, I was like, oh my gosh, this is that's this everything here. <laughs> Like everybody here, I actually like talking to. Why don't, why don't I just say yes to that? And yeah. so um, that's how I ended up there. And again, I, I, you know, super, super lucky, super privileged to have been able to go to that institution at that time. Um, and again, you know, when I, even though earlier I was talking about the, the gated walls of these, you know, prestigious places, like if you get in those gates, it is great, right? nothing wrong with it but it's just you know you see now how like now that my nieces and nephews you know I, i'm seeing them apply and no one can get it anywhere right it's just they're the gates have gotten taller and taller right and um so anyway that's that's how i ended up at mit uh sort of finding the people that i liked and i that that i sort of appreciated and appreciated me and and I thought I was going to be a physicist. <laughs> so wrong about that. But instead, like while I was trying to do physics, I, you know, wandered into the computer science department and was like, hey, this stuff is fun. I can I can actually do this for a thing. <laughs> Maroon's <laughs> physics <got> book. book. <laughs> <laughs> the uh uh, the computer science stuff just sort of made sense to me in a way that when you get to quantum physics, nothing makes sense to anybody unless you're Russian or like a genius or a Russian genius. Um, so 
I, again, I sort of said yes to that. Okay, this is great. And then I also found out at MIT that you could take film classes as a, as a class. <laughs> you can watch movies to like, and, and get a grade on that. I was like, I'm all in for that. And I started doing film studies. Um, I discovered this whole thing that you could watch movies and read them like they were books. You know, you could analyze them, you could do this stuff. And no one had, I'd never really thought about that before. And this idea of visual storytelling and making movies became more and more important to me. So I went, I went to NYU I, for a semester abroad to New York and I made movies and I said, oh, I'll never move back to New York again, but I'm glad I had that experience. And then I came back to Boston. I was like all ready to be ensconced in like the MIT grad school life. And I um, landed at the MIT Media Lab because there was this place called the Interactive Cinema Group where, hey, look, computers, movies, <sighs> smash them together, perfect place for me. Um, but even though it was, it also like, I, you know, you, you say like, you, you, you said earlier that I'm an artist. <laughs> at that time, I was an engineer through and through. I wouldn't have known how to make something really original. Like it was really hard to believe, right? And um, the great thing is that I was lucky enough to have a mentor. Um, I met John Maida at that time and he was a new professor at MIT. He went on to be, he's, he's a pretty amazing character himself, but he sort of shook me out of my complacency. He said, you know, if you stay here, you're smart, you're talented, you'll make great things for other people and people will use that. But he said, I think, I think you wanna make things for yourself. And if you want, really want to do that, you gotta get out of here. <laughs> He said, yeah. <laughs> he's like, you have to go to a place where people make stuff and where they are really good at making stuff and yeah. where they can tell you your stuff is shitty because like, it's not getting the job done. And I totally thought I was going to be a PhD student and I was all set up and I was all ready for Dr. Philip Pionks and I was going to be a different kind of doctor, but I was going to be a doctor. And this, this conversation just sort of totally shook me up. And um, I ended up applying to film school uh, and a bunch of places. I didn't get it anywhere except Columbia University, which again, I have no idea why they would take me. My film reel was crap. Like I had no, I mean, I had, but I wrote a couple good stories, I think. Hmm. And there, when I arrived the first week, you know, I, I was there, I was like, I went into their media lab, which was like a bunch of Macs with Premiere on it. And I was like, this place is awful. You know, like, I, why am I even here? This is stupid. Like I waste, I'm wasting all of my life and my time here. I know more than all of these people. The second week was when our first film short was due in class. And mine was terrible. Like literally the worst the worst possible version of that film that could be. And I looked at these other films, again, 30 seconds long from these people who could, in my mind, you know, 
they didn't know what a hard drive was, the difference between memory. Oh, I, I don't have enough memory. I was like, what kind of memory? You know, like all that stuff. I was like, mm -hmm. I, I knew all that stuff. But here was someone, the technical skills, not there, but made a film that was amazing. <laughs> wow. Right? Yeah. And you're like, it doesn't matter. All that shit that I knew about that stuff and how that stuff works and the fact that I could write that piece of software didn't matter anymore here, right? It was actually what came out on the screen and there were no excuses for that. There were no excuses for like, oh, you know, my compiler was, you know, down or you know, I ran out of memory and so I can't render the, blah, blah, blah. You, you, technology gives you a billion reasons why you can't do the thing that you wanted to make. When you're making something that you watch on screen and you cannot talk while it's playing and other people are looking at, um, you realize the power of that medium and you realize when other people are really good at it and when you're not. <laughs> right. And if you're an engineer like me, I was like, I gotta know why, why? Why am I so bad at this? And so that totally changed my you know, perspective. Week three, I was in, I was like, totally like, I gotta figure this out, right? And you know, there was a part of me that, that had the hubris to think that I will be one of those amazing, great storytellers. But, you know, I also realized that I'm, I, by the end, I realized maybe I'm not, but if I can combine the things that I'm good at, yeah, then maybe I have a shot. And that's when I started Potion. So that's, that's, that's sort of the trajectory, you know, um, and I'm sure I'm in on some kind of uh, Mandy page as a grip on someone's film somewhere and <laughs> DP on someone else's film. Um, I was never super talented in those areas. Uh, but what I learned by going to art school, by going to film school was what it means to say something and, and, and to say it your way. Yeah. And uh, that's, I sort of tried to choose my medium to do that. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, let, next up, let, let, let's, let's take a hypothetical situation, right? All right, sure. Let's say we, we, we have a time machine that takes you back in times and you go back to, let's say, when you were you know, young, 20 year old. <laughs> what would you, um, what advice would you give you for future self? What, how, um, you know, what, what, would you, what would you have done differently at that time? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a hard one. Um, I don't know. There are a couple, couple things. Um, the biggest would have been to um, to appreciate my dad, yeah. Um, to recognize that um, he wasn't as stupid and and um, um, you know, like disconnected from the digital world that I thought he was, the my world. Hmm. And to appreciate 
that I had live access to him in an interactive way. Um, and I needed, I, 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 sh I can take advantage of that because um, it ended up being um, much shorter than I expected. You know, it, it raised an amazing and powerful point that, you know, we are each other. We are interactive experiences for each other. We, <laughs> we are the ultimate interactive experience, you know, people yeah. connection. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, it's easy to mistake achievement um, for work, for enjoying your work, right? Yeah. And I think that I was so focused on achieving things. I got to MIT, yay. You yeah, know, right. I'm a, you know, I, I got, you know, I got the, admitted to the media lab. I'm so fancy, you know, um, I'm super smart. My dad doesn't know anything about this stuff. And um, he didn't need to, mm. he wanted to, he wanted to understand my world, but he, um, I was very unforgiving. And, um, you know, because you're, you're, it was my time. I was 20, you know, right. you're, you're like, you're, this is when you're strutting your stuff. Like you, you're not supposed to appreciate anything at that age. <laughs> right. How can you? But, um, but um, if I had known, um, I think I would have tried to get a little bit more out of that time with him. Yeah. Um, to enjoy the, the work. Yeah, so that's, and now I think the only reason I, I could even say that now is because I'm a, I'm now a father, you know, and um, I'm 10 years away from my dad's first heart attack. Wow. It, it's, it's so weird when you have kids, it just flips a perspective on you, you know? <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. And then uh, in boy, girl. I have a boy and a girl. I'm lucky. I got a, I got a full set. So yeah. no more after that. Um, 10 year old girl and uh, eight year old, no, nine year old boy. Um, and they challenge me every day. And that's the other amazing thing about the pandemic because the, um, in many ways I have been modeling my father's life too. I have been putting way more of my attention on achievement and on, on the, what I thought success, a successful agency would look like and the work that you have to do there. Um, and the pandemic has brought me home. No business dinners, no business trips, dinner at home every day. That's something my dad did. And I'm recognizing all the things that happen when you do that. And uh, that's changing, that will be a change for me. Um, maybe I'll never stop going remote. Yeah. Because at least for the next 10 years, I wanna be in closer proximity with them than I really would let myself before. Hope that's not too sad. <laughs> <laughs>
man it's powerful dude you're i mean you're sharing the real life i mean and yeah and again this this uh thank you for doing that it, what it shows is why you're so passionate about what you do and um but you know th- thanks Faroon, for making us all cry here <laughs> let's talk rock climbing man yeah that was the I, that was not the answer that i was thinking i was but when Good you though, asked man. it just jumped. it's real it's, it was stuff. real it's real it's real um real stuff man uh but i mean dude we we chatted in the prep call we found yeah. out Oh no, you like rock climbing. So do we. we <laughs> thought maybe we would skip the entire show and just talk about climbing, climbing things in crags and indoor. Yeah. And yeah, that, that's the, you know, that, that's what the, now I'm, I'm glad we can get to the real episode. Um, you know, the, the climbing um, I actually discovered in grad school, you know, when I was at, in, at, in film school, because that was the first time that I really had access to a life that wasn't inside MIT's walls, right? I was, I was very much, like I said, a little bit more of an introvert there. Though everyone always said I was an extrovert. I was an extrovert there, but like um, being in New York City, meeting people, um, getting a, a chance to go outside. Um, I think that it really connected back to some experiences I had as a kid in Tennessee and just, climbing i was always afraid of heights when i was a kid and there was this one ropes course i went to when i was um in a summer camp and i remember was it like scouts getting, it was it was it i wasn't the scouts but it was actually um it was like a summer school camp oh, cool and um uh i you know climb i was again like i said i was not really good at ball sports i was not really good yeah, at yeah. things but there's this climbing uh this this high wire thing you know and i got up halfway and i froze i couldn't move and i was mm. crying almost and you know i'm in front of all these other people and i'm like <sighs> tough. and what was amazing i just wanted to come down but what was amazing is that the instructor this i'll never forget this he like actually he was it was not easy to like pass the rope but he passed the rope to another you know, another adult there. Um, and he climbed, he solo climbed up to me <laughs> and he put his hand over his head and like, step on this. And I stepped on that and I could reach, finally reach the next thing. And then I went to the top and I got to the top and then they lowered me down and um, everyone was cheering Really? And yeah, everyone in front of you because you like kind of froze. No, they realized how hard you worked. Yeah, yeah. Once I got or, to the top, or I they mean, were it, for the instructor. Uh, yeah, I know. No. <laughs> because he he climbed back down. I mean, it was because it, it went. It got. I was only halfway up, but you know, I it, you you go up a lot more. Like once you get past that block, then suddenly, yeah, like it's not. You realize you can do it, right? right? And so I got to the, and from then on, I loved that ropes course. Like I, then I was, I, I made it a, like a, like a point to go back and do that, do it. And I could, I knew I could do it right suddenly. Wow. And so when I started climbing in, in grad school, I was like, oh yeah, this is what that feels like. And um, climbing is such, such a, you know, intellectual sort of exercise you know it's risk management it's gear it's moving your body you know dancing with the rock but it's also like just 
you don't even know why you do things, but mm-hmm. suddenly you're in a position that allows you to get up another centimeter and then suddenly you're you're past it. You're past the crux, right? Wow. And yeah. that unlocking that has always been super like that 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 tickles like my brain in in, in a super, super satisfying way. And you know how that feels, right? Yeah, man. Yeah. Yes. You know how that feels like, when, like you're, when you're going just the other day. See it. Yeah. On a course, I'm like, my hands are dead. I don't got this. It's not happening. And then yeah. you just get past one more spot or, you know, which I found also is fine. You just fall off and you just hang there. for Yes. A second, let your hands rest. And, and, you know, and I'm like, Rune, don't lower me down yet. I yeah. still got work to do. And and then you tackle it again, and that persistent, yeah. you know, like your instructor didn't didn't give up on you, like oh, lower him down. Philip can't do it. Lower him down. Yeah. Come down, defeated. Instead, yeah. He, how how high up was he when he when he climbed up there? Was it? I mean, I don't. I mean, who knows? I mean, I mean, I, I it felt like I was twenty feet in the air, but like I have no idea. Like it could have been seven feet up. Do, like I don't know. Do you remember his but, name? Uh, Mr. Wofford, Brian Wofford. Wofford I should I should bad ass we should track him yeah. down man you should you should, yeah. you should find him and t- go climbing him dude how sick would that be go climb with him that would, be, un- that would be amazing Take him climbing. um but like that but that feeling yeah. of like you know and and also learning how to fall learning how to let go right like that's another huge thing I, I can see Varun you know like it's like that first time you fall you you think you're like so you're like literally holding on with the last ounce of your like strength i can't let go and then you like fall two or three feet and you lose your breath and you're like you know that um and whenever you're on lead believe me it it comes all back it all comes back last week was my first indoor rock climbing so i was like you know, just climbing and I did not have that experience of falling. I, I wasn't ready to fall. Yeah. I wasn't ready. Like I would just hang on to the, you know, <laughs> death grip. Uh, yeah. But it was amazing. Like, you know. Yeah. No, no. And like I said, you're not ready to fall. Right. And so you're not ready to take a chance because like, and like, and that's when, when you climb outside on lead, like that, when I was saying risk management, it's like, you're usually climbing two or three levels before below your max because you don't want to be, I mean, the best climbers in the world are climbing at their peak, you know, out there, but the normal person is like, you know, okay, I can climb five, nine in the gym. I'm going to lead five, four outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Because you want to know you've got plenty in the tank, you know, plenty of reserve, that you're that that there's so much other stuff you're dealing with that's not the climbing that that you have to have sort of supreme confidence in in your ability to like overcome the the obstacle right and so when you go when when you get to that point you know then you'll especially the first one right until you get that first protection put in there you don't have any no (laughs) yeah yeah. yeah. i'm going okay i'm gonna try to catch you like i don't you're soloing that first piece of prose you're yeah. solo you know and and you know it's very easy to deck after that first piece of pro too you have to really get That's in true. a couple pieces above that when you can finally sort of take a deep breath That's but true. um 
climbing is, um, it is one of those things that like, I appreciate it because I'm usually very much in my head. You know, I have, may, I have a thousand things going on. And, but when I'm climbing, you're so focused on just that foot placement, just that, you know, holding that side pull just right, you know, like, like, like easing up on that toe or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I've never been more aware of my physical self than I have climbing. I'm not a dancer, <laughs> but I do like climbing. Yeah, it's 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 a magical sport, man. We gotta get you up here. Come to New Hampshire. We, we yeah, 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 yeah. And, get up and here. let's go, Varun. This was so last week was your first time climbing indoors in the indoor gym? world. Yes. And so you've the been previous climbing. week. The previous week was the first time we. I took the lesson outdoor, oh. so I started indoor, and then I'm waiting for you to come here, and then we all go together. Yeah, and then we'll go. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, Rumney actually. Uh, I'll tell you a horror story about Rumney. <laughs> there's at least when I went there, there's a lot of loose rock up there. Is it still true? Is there still a lot of loose stuff up there? I don't know. That's, um, but um, uh, this, I don't know how many years ago this was, but my last trip to Rumney, I'll tell you that. Um, we were done for the day, walking off. Like we were, we were like, yay, you know, happy. We're all, you know, super tired, sore. And someone yells, and you know we were on a very like everyone it was end of the day and so we, we everyone sort of scatters right on the trail and I sort of like put my hand down and the boulder rolls over it it had fallen off the the crag and it crushed my hand um what um on the like I had like I was the unlucky one that day and just because um, you put your hand down just because I put my hand down and it came Shit. over right in that moment and I was like looking at my hand and it was like grow like it was like swell it was like you know like uh, it was like three inches thick or something it was like oh my god and I was like screaming and I was the one who drove so it was my car so I had to get my keys out give it to somebody else like where's the hospital you know oh, <laughs> you know jump in the car and I'm swearing like this fucking hurts and um Man. And we get there, and that's the the only time that I um, know for sure that I've had. Um, um, I forget what the opiate painkiller was. What is that? Um, oh, like morphine it? or something? Yeah, morphine. I think it was morphine. It was, it, that or oxy's or something. I don't yeah, know. yeah. It was, I think it was morphine because like <laughs> I sound so, know, I sound too casually like I know. <laughs> I really don't know. Wait, was it? Uh, yeah. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> what did he look like now um because um I, I i had never had that kind of painkiller before and i expected it when they put it in to make the pain go away you know it's a painkiller right yeah but it was the it, instead i stopped caring that <laughs> like that's what it does it like yeah. i was like wow that hurts just as much as it did before they gave me that but doesn't matter. Really? <laughs> yeah, so it was I've like super, super, like, like my not because I could see it. And then when they're doing, like, they were cleaning it out and like doing stuff to it, and I'm just watching them like operate on my hand, and I'm like, holy crap, that looks that this hurts a lot. <laughs> Still don't care. <laughs> <laughs> no way. So that was the last time I was at Rumney. Uh, it took three or four months to heal after that. So I've been like, come on back, 
bro. <laughs> Take it back but, to the you know, I, I knew that, I mean, you know, that I, I'm lucky. That's probably the worst accident I've ever had climbing. And it, yeah. again, it was walking off the cliff, you know, like we were yeah. done. Um, so I've, I've had plenty of opportunities to have gotten hurt or stuck in yeah. other places and been, you know, lucky enough to have been able to self-rescue, get down, get anyone we're with down, you know, be, you know, and that's the other thing about the risk outside is, is it's real, you know, and you decide how much you want to do. Right? You decide if you're going to bail on that five, four lead because like, it's not feeling it today. And that's okay, you know. And that that being able to like being able to be able to say that, like that that requires um, um, knowing yourself, and that, yeah. that is why I love about climbing. Yeah, man, good stuff. Well, we're gonna get yeah, you back. I hope up. you even climb even more. If you go indoor. You know, even if you go yeah. indoor. No, no, e- indoor too. Yeah, we definitely. Or there's some good gyms down here too. And if you ever want to go to the Gunks, which is another premier outdoor climbing area, right, right in my backyard. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah, you should come on down because um, that place is is fun too. Uh, and I could definitely put you all on your first lead there. Um, yeah, there's a there's there's some good ones. I'll bring that, the rope. Uh, that's where I. We, we don't have a, what do they call them? Quick uh, somethings. Quick draws. Quick draw. We don't have quick, quick draws, draws yet. And that's okay. Them. I got them. I got. got I got all. Hey, I got, got everything it. you need. I got draws. I got gear. I got slings. Do it, Vern. Let's just, go. You just need to bring a harness, shoes. Your helmet. rope's helpful. Helmet. Yeah. No. Make sure you bring a helmet. Yeah. <laughs> but um. Back. Yeah. Be careful. But again, I mean, that was a freak thing um and it was really late and it was because someone was stupid on the mountain and you know kicked something that hit something else that knocked a rock off the cliff so don't do that be careful (laughs) sick dude well i can talk about this all day but man hey where can people connect with you they want to reach out they want to connect with you personally no yeah they can connect to me um uh philip at potiondesign.com Cool. Um, come to Potion Design. Uh, you can see, you know, our portfolio, how we do things, um, and also like we are starting to do things that we've never done before too. So even though you see a lot of physical, experiential stuff, a lot of pure digital product, and you know, we're, what's what's interesting is this idea of a hybrid mm, essential yeah. thing. How yeah. do we take these things that were on site or are were thought of to only be able to be delivered on site and how can we deliver those yeah. in a scalable way? That's That's been sort of where we're really running straight at. So okay. if you have a project like that or if you're thinking of something like that, come come talk to me. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah and, Thank and you. Uh, people have heard your passion for it and they, and they, they also understand your, how you're, you're smart about it and, and you, why, how you... The hybrid is good, but also we don't want to have our feet too firmly planted in old tech or the new tech. We got to adopt and change and, and, and it, it's a new medium. It's not a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's this totally new combined one. So yeah, we definitely should hit you up for that. Yeah. Dude, this has been awesome. Right. Yeah, this has been super fun. Thank like, you. Thanks for having me on. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's great. I, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And that's what makes this like these, these, these interactions the best. So I really appreciate you um, calling me up and um, I hope we do get to go climbing. Cause that's a whole different, that that'll be a much, I, I talk a lot less when we're climbing. I was, I was wondering about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, 
Sweet, man. You need anything else? Hey, you good? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Varun, any, any parting words, Varun? No, I think um, it, it, it was really great. Uh, thanks for coming over and talking to us and let's stay connected and hopefully yeah. we can see you soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, again, we're, we're interested in all sorts of challenges. Um, so um, I hope we do get a chance to cross paths. And, and collaborate um, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, Thank you. Guys, this has been awesome, man. This is uh, Agencies That Build. We'll catch you all next time. All right.